Well, good morning, everybody. Praise God. Welcome to Gospel Saving Church. I'm so glad you're here. If this is your first time coming to us today, this is Gospel Saving Church. I'm Pastor Ed Spagnoli, and we are one of God's true churches of these last days, and this is our weekly broadcast of truth from God's Word. I hope you came here to, be, to learn the Bible and not just to be entertained, because the Word of God says that we're supposed to be here to learn the Word of God, to fellowship with one another, to edify one another, and to be edified by one another. We're not supposed to be coming to church to be entertained. And if you are, that's the wrong heart, and God sees that, and He knows that, and you want to watch it because, you know, if you fear God, you don't want Him to think you're coming to church just to be entertained. You're supposed to be here for Him. Anyway, we always start with a word of prayer, and if you guys would please join me and ask the Lord to bless our hearts and bless my mouth and help me to teach this message and help us to listen to this message and everything God has to say to us today. Lord, we thank you for this word today. Thank you for this message. Thank you for all that you say to us, Lord. Thank you that you're still speaking. You're still calling people to repentance. You're still calling people to Jesus Christ. And Lord, we thank you for that. We thank you that there's still time left. We thank you that those that are listening today, if they don't know you, they could turn to you today, Lord. Those that do know you, Lord, I pray that we'd be encouraged and that we'd serve you more, Lord God, today, even through the difficult times. Lord, we thank you and we love you and we praise you. And we ask all these things in Jesus Christ's mighty name. Amen. So today we're going to be in Acts chapter 27, verses 1 through 8. Again, that's Acts chapter 27, verses 1 through 8. You can read along with me or you can listen along as I go to teach. But the title of our sermon today, Golden Nuggets in the Details. Golden Nuggets in the Details. We're going to read again. You can read along with me or just listen along. Acts 27, verses 1 through 8. The Bible says this. And when it was decided that we should sail to Italy, they delivered Paul and some other prisoners to one named Julius, a centurion of the Augustan regiment. So entering a ship of Adoramitium, we put to sea, meaning to sail along the coast of Asia. Aristarchus, a Macedonian of a Macedonian of Thessalonica was with us. And the next day we landed at Sidon, and Julius treated Paul kindly and gave him liberty to go to his friends and receive care. When we had put to sea from there, we sailed under the shelter of Cyprus, because the winds were contrary. And when we had sailed over the sea, which is off Cilicia and Pamphylia, we came to Myra, a city of Lycia. There, the centurion found an Alexandrian ship sailing to Italy, and he put us on board. When we had sailed slowly many days and arrived with difficulty off of Sidus, Snidus, I guess you'd call it, you'd say that, the wind not permitting us to proceed, we sailed under the shelter of Crete of Salome, or Salomon. Uh, passing it with difficulty, we came to a place called Fair Havens near the city of Lycia. Uh, now, as I was telling my family just today, uh, this sermon is full of details, and hence the, the name, Golden Nuggets in the Details. So this is just such an involved sermon, a lot of hours of preparation. So uh, the names, I just didn't get a chance to, to, for the names, to, to speak all the names, to phonetically sound them out. So sorry about my butchering them. Uh, all you guys out there that know those names better than me, I, I, uh, I definitely, uh, definitely am no uh, linguist. A- anyway... Getting back here, so, so last week, going just a quick overview, we, we made it through the whole chapter of Acts 26, and we did it in a little over an hour. 
And in that full chapter of study, we, we looked at an extremely rare event of a gospel presentation where Paul got an amazing opportunity to share some different and important info with some special people. He got to, one, give his defense, to his testimony, and three, the gospel call, hence the title of last week's message, to those of the society that he lived in that were pretty untouchable people. Remember, Festus the governor, not just anybody got to just walk up to him and talk to him. Agrippa the king, I mean, few people would get an audience with the king of the whole region, and a whole auditorium full of rich and powerful people from Caesarea and possibly Rome, which again, these people being very untouchable, not for the common man, we generally wouldn't get that type of opportunity to share the gospel like Paul did with those types of people in our day. Uh, End result, though, Paul gets through to them for Christ with all that he had to say, mostly preaching Jesus Christ and the the gospel call to them instead instead of his defense. But sadly, they all reject Christ and they run away from God. So sad. But even though they run away from God, kind of where we're going to pick up today, they find Paul innocent, not deserving of death, but still under obligation by God, by his sovereignty. Because remember Acts 23, 11, Jesus Christ said, Paul's going to Rome. And so Paul's going to Rome. So by God's sovereignty, even though Paul was innocent, they have to send him to Rome because Jesus Christ said so. This is where we open up today's message. Paul gets sent to Rome. This message is full of the details of that trip, although we don't get to his actually getting to Rome, as you, as you heard as I just read there. Sermons and Bible readings that are full of details aren't usually that exciting to read or listen to. But understand this, if you're a, if you're a Christian or you're a seeker of God, the Bible is important. So you, me, we should read it and learn those sections uh, full of details because they are parts of God's Word. Uh, here today with Paul's travels, a lot of details, a lot of, lot of meticulous details. Again, we know parts of the Bible, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, the genealogies, very, very, very detailed. Hence, a lot of people say, oh my gosh, it's so boring reading those points. And, and I know it can be. Um, but now today, even though this message is full of details of Paul's trips, which can be boring, God's given me some really neat golden nuggets to point out for us in this section of Scripture uh, so that the details may not be that boring. In fact, I think that God's got such a wonderful sermon planned for you that you're not even going to notice all those details because uh, there's some things in them that are awesome. If you please read verse 1 again with me, and let's get to our detailed Message of Paul's journey to Rome. And when it was decided that we should sail to Italy, they delivered Paul and some other prisoners to one named Julius, a centurion of the Augustan Regiment. Paul, remember, had appealed to Caesar because they, uh, even though they couldn't find anything wrong with him, they still wanted to send him back to, back to Jerusalem, the Jews under Festus. Anyway, he, uh, he appeals to Caesar. To Caesar he shall go. And so it was decided that they send him by ship. Their only other option in those days, being that there was no planes, trains, or automobiles, was to do it via the ground, by either hiking or using animals and carts. Because yes, a person could go from Caesarea, which was real close to Jerusalem, to Rome without the use of a boat, believe it or not. Uh, As far as for Paul and those with him, let's just say that God caused Agrippa and Festus to wisely not choose to send him on foot or by horseback as the trek from Caesarea to Rome is roughly 2,000 
500 miles, which is about an 840-hour hike, according to Google Maps, which would be just doing just the math of that 840-hour hike would be about 35 straight days. And of course, that would be 24 hours a day. And well, when traveling by foot or by horseback, we know that no one can continuously travel for 35 straight days at 24 hours a day because we need to do things like, you know, take breaks, sleep, you know, bathe, brush our teeth, eat, you know, stuff like that. And when you consider that most do those things, uh, most, most, most of these things that people do to survive, uh, realistically, their trek by foot or horseback would have probably taken more like six months of continuous travel, seven days a week, maybe eight to 10 to 12 hours a day. So this was a long trip, and Paul wasn't exactly an athlete at this point, as we pointed out, as I pointed out in previous sermons. He didn't exactly have the Adonis figure. He wasn't the, you know, the the the, the, the big football star with the big buffing muscles, and you know, could run 100 miles. You know, so that would have that would have probably been a, a, enough for him. He might have even died along the journey had they decided to send him by foot. Uh, and and you think maybe you're thinking, well. Pastor, maybe if they would have used animals. Well, think, if they would have used animals, even though they would have been able to travel at a greater speed, animals with that distance need a lot more care. They need a lot more equipment. They need a lot more supplies. They would have had to have more people in the caravan than just Julius there, the Roman centurion there, trying to take care of him and take him there all the way to Rome. So even though the animal would have allowed him to travel at a faster pace and a faster speed, the animal would have needed, the animals, excuse me, in their caravan full of eight to 10 people, which probably would have been more like 15 to 20 people because they would have had more people to take care of the animals. And anyway, with all of that included, I don't see their their time of travel being any less than it was if they would have rather just hiked. Anyway, as I said earlier, they chose the absolutely smarter way to go by boat, which is much faster and usually a lot less stress on the body and the mind. Now, those things that I just mentioned about the easy trip and less stress on the body, not so much with this trip, but I won't get there just yet. You'll see as we continue to go on in the sermon. Anyway, getting back, verse 1 also told us that Festus and Agrippa sent Paul to Rome with some other prisoners, and they are all under guard by a soldier named Julius, a Roman centurion. More details, verse 2. So, entering a ship of, here's that hard word again, doggone it, Entering a ship of the Adramitium, that was probably a coast of Caesarea or the port or the name of the ship that they were going on at that time. We put to sea, meaning, that that word is important, I'm not going to hit it now, but keep it in your memories, meaning to sail along the coast of Asia. So that means their intent was to sail along the coast of Asia, but I'll come back to that idea. And the last part of verse 2 Worthy to talk about for a bit, a huge golden nugget in this sermon. Last part of verse 2, start there where it says Aristarchus. Aristarchus, a Macedonian of Thessalonica, was with us. Luke ends that verse with. That might not mean a lot to you, but after I get done talking about this guy and what he did and who he is and what he meant to Paul, he will, okay? Aristarchus here was one of Paul's travel companions to Rome. Now, wait, even so what? Yeah, he had some travel companions. Big deal. Well, that's important because of the context that he is mentioned in and in the several times he's mentioned otherwise in the New Testament. 
Contextually, we read in Acts 19 that he's been traveling with Paul since that riot broke out all the way back in Ephesus. Remember the one that Demetrius the silversmith started. And remember, when the angry mob came in, Acts 19, looking for Paul, who did they grab? Well, go back to Acts 19. They grabbed Aristarchus and a fellow named Gaius. They were Paul's travel companions even then. And they, remember, they take the fall for Paul. They wanted Paul. They wanted to kill Paul, but they couldn't find Paul. But they had seen the two guys that were traveling with Paul, so they kind of grabbed Paul. Now, mind you, I want you to keep that in mind now. This, this is probably going back, could be even four to five years, maybe even six years here that Aristarchus' name here was mentioned all the way back in Acts 19, even though we're only Acts 27. You know, Paul was two years alone just under Felix waiting for Festus to kind of come into charge. And then before that, this was way back. This is before Paul even was like really traveling around and like heading for his last trip to Rome. So... This was kind of a this was kind of a big thing. Aristarchus and Gaius weren't hurt during that rebellion, during that 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 angry mob thing, but they still went through that horrible event with Paul where there was still an angry mob of people, probably thousands of people that were all there wanting Paul dead. And even though Aristarchus went through that hardship purposely for Paul, he doesn't leave them. Here he still is hanging in there with Paul on the last journey of his life with or with Paul to Rome, remember, no, no yet, to stand before one of the most terrible, horrible, crazy rulers ever to rule the Roman Empire, remember, Caesar Nero. And considering that his name is brought up in Acts 24, as he's still traveling with Paul through Asia, we know that that riot in Ephesus didn't run him off. And if that riot in Ephesus didn't run him off, He's mentioned totally four times in the New Testament, and the two others that he's mentioned are even more impressive than the first two. Uh, I make the leap that he still traveled with Paul all the way from Acts 19 all the way to today because we find out later, twice from Paul in the New Testament, past the book of Acts, Colossians 4.10 and Philemon 1.24, that Aristarchus continued to be his fellow prisoner. Now think of this. That would be in Rome, where Paul wrote most of his epistles to the churches. And then he's also in prison with Paul, waiting for the judgment of the crazy Nero. This very trip that we're studying about right here that we're going through. And here he's still with Paul, Colossians 4.10, Philemon 1.24, while he's still in Rome while he's in prison, while he's awaiting Caesar's judgment. What can we learn from the bigger picture of Aristarchus? Well, what is this golden nugget that God has for us here? Well, he was a super devout Christian man who loved Jesus Christ with all his heart. And God called him to be by Paul's side, because obviously there's no other way or reason that it could have been. And he was faithful to be at Paul's side through the good and the bad, through the thick and through the thin. Even going to Rome as an innocent man with Paul. But Aristarchus wasn't guilty at all. He wasn't the one in the trials with the Jews. He wasn't the ones that he wasn't one of the ones that was under threat to die. It was Paul. Paul was the one that was in trouble with the Jews. Aristarchus just went along because again, God must have called him to be, and he was faithful to continue. Even even under knowing, willfully knowing, everybody knew this, 
that Nero was a crazed lunatic and he knew he was going to Rome with Paul. He, he was basically like their modern day version of the crazy Herod, the, the lunatic that was trying to kill the baby Jesus. And yet here we still find him in the bigger picture that we find of him. What, what we can learn from him, what we can take away from him ourselves as Christians of today is faithfulness. We need today more men and women of God like Aristarchus, okay? Men and women of God who are dedicated to Christ and to doing what he told them to do. And not only that, but the bigger picture shows us that Aristarchus did it at any cost. He didn't just go in with Paul and, oh, when things were great, oh, I'm your buddy. And then when things got rough, oh, he ran away, kind of like Mark did with Paul when he was with Barnabas. He didn't do that. He stuck with Paul at any cost through all of the garbage that Paul went through. Christians, Aristarchus was a Christian man that we should be looking to as an example of how we should live our lives to God and Christ, being faithful to what? Be wherever he has called us to be and to do, to do what? Whatever God has called us to do, whether it's easy or whether it's hard. I had a brother years ago that I went to church with and he told me one time as we were talking, we were going on the streets together to talk about Jesus, you know, to talk to people about Jesus Christ. And this brother told me, he says, yeah, you know, God called me to prayer, you know, to prayer many years ago. And I, and I was, a, and I was a prayer warrior, man, for, I was a prayer warrior for the longest time. But then, you know, life, you know, and he, and he was just telling me about this. And, and, this and, he, and he struck up in my heart as I was doing this message today because I remember his very words. Well, you know, life and things happen. Well, well there's the bad. <laughs> there's the devil's attacks on his life. There's the crap. There's the going to Rome with Paul, right, heading to see uh, Nero Caesar, or, or Ciro, Caesar Nero, who was a crazed lunatic like the King Herod of Jesus' day, baby Jesus' day, and then the crap came, and he said, you know, I just, I just gave it up. I just could I just, you know, I had to deal with my stuff, and I couldn't, couldn't continue to be a prayer warrior anymore. Christians, he's not the type of Christian, or at least at that point, that God wants us to be. God, if God gives us a charge to do, whether it's to be an evangelist, whether it's to be a, a faithful teacher of the Word of God, whether it's to be a faithful prayer warrior, whether it's to be a faithful mentor for Christ, for somebody else, whatever God has given you to do, and you know He's given you to do it, then you got to do it. You got to be like Aristarchus. You, you can't be like the friend in that one situation. Now, this brother wasn't like that in everything he did. But I'm just saying, in that one example, God gave him a pretty big thing to do. And you know, when the hard came, he bailed out. So, so long story short, Christians, whatever God has called you to do, and whatever he's called you to be, and wherever he's called you to be, have you served him like Aristarchus, or, or have you served him like my old Christian friend from years ago, where he bailed on God and didn't continue to be faithful to God? We need more men and women today that are dedicated again to do whatever God's called them to do and to be wherever God has called them to be and to be whatever God has called them to be. Anyway, golden nugget. I want to, I want to, I want to, you know, I want to put that on you because it was something that God put on me on this sermon. You know, are you being faithful? Are you being, so I wanted to, you know, encourage you to do that. And, and, and I hope you're convicted if you're not. 
And, and that means that I hope that you get back into doing whatever God's told you to do and being whoever God told you to be and being wherever God told you to be. Getting back to our message. Verse 2 just told us that Julius, Paul, Aristarchus, and the others boarded a ship. I'm not going to say that word again, and they were meaning to sail along the coast of Asia, but that is not what happens at first. They have a layover. Look at verse 3. And the next day we landed at Sidon, and Julius treated Paul kindly and gave him liberty to go to his friends and receive care. Now that may, again, that's another little detail that as you're reading over this section, be like, oh yeah, I received God. And then you just read on, verse 4. But no, we can't do that because this sermon is all about the little details of the sermon. So, so Sidon was just a city north of Caesarea within Phoenician territory and a coastal city of ancient Syria. And verse 3 just told us that in Sidon, a city we don't hear of a layover planned, Verse 3 tells us that Julius was kind to Paul and allowed him, allowed him to go to his friends for some care. Well, think about that detail. Does anybody have to go and get care from anybody else if they're, not, if they're well? Well, the answer is no. So we can make the leap here that Paul is unwell or he's sick. He's, he's, he's got an illness or he's under the weather uh, because he needs care. I'm not sure if he was unwell for all the time that he, he spent in a real prison. I mentioned that under Festus it seemed like Paul was in a real prison and not in, you know, like, a, like his own rented house with, you know, you know, his, you know, just a guy watching him like he was under Felix. So not sure if he was unwell because of Festus's uh, lack of care for him or Festus putting him in real prison, or maybe he just got sick because he got a cold, or maybe he had the flu, whatever, all are possible. All are possible, but we don't know which one. We just know that what happened. He's obviously unwell, and so he needs to go to some friends, some Christian friends that are there inside him for some care. It's okay if we don't know. We can only work with what we do know, and what we do know is that they they take an unscheduled layover inside him, and thanks be to God, Julius was a kind Roman centurion who allowed Paul to go to get some care from his fellow Christians so that he could get well. And we know that Paul makes it okay and that he gets to Rome okay, so he does get better. Moving forward to verse 4, we don't know how long his health issue held up to or how long he needed to get care because verse 4 just moves on from that going straight towards more details of their trip. Verse 4 says this, when we had put when we had put to sea from there, we sailed under the shelter of Cyprus because the wind was contrary. Verse 4, when we had put to sea from there, Paul's health, health issue could have delayed them for a day, a few days, or even a week. We don't know, and that's all right. The good news, though, is, uh, more good news there for Paul is the centurion Paul, faithful Aristarchus, and the rest of the crew end up getting back on track. They end up getting back on a boat, we notice we don't have the mention of this other boat's name, so it's probably another boat. And they, here they are heading for Rome again, helping Paul do what? Acts 23.11, do what Jesus Christ had called him to do. Go to Rome, testify in Rome of the things that Christ had shown him and the, the ways that God was working in his life. There is no more important thing to do for any child of God in all of their fleeting, short lives, Christians than to be faithful to complete the job the Lord Jesus has given you. And be where he wants you to be, and do what he wants you to do. 
Here, verse 4, they don't let their unscheduled layover stop them. They get back on a boat and back into their trip. And verse 4 tells us that when they do, kind of switching gears from that other idea that we've kind of been pumping for the last few verses, they have to sail under the cover or close to the coast of Cyprus because the winds were really blowing strong against them. That's what contrary winds mean. Cyprus, so still named today, is an island that is in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea, and it's off the coast of Sidon and kind of not too far from the southern coast of Asia. And so, it was a perfect island to pass by to grab some shielding or some cover from a contrary wind. Uh, they don't have any kind of engines, remember, or they, or they didn't have any kind of engines on the boats of Paul's day. They either had a, a rowboat, where they would take these oars, and they would, you know, they had crews, and they would row, and they would oar, and, and Roman, Roman vessels, Roman war vessels would have those, or they had sailboats. Here, this is no sailboat, or this is no rowboat, this is a sailboat. And so when you're talking about wind, and you're talking about a sailboat, well, the wind being contrary is not a good thing. It's a really bad thing, because you want the wind, if you're in a sailboat, to be pushing you from behind, and not sailing into the wind, as the wind hitting the sail will either stop you or push you back. So that's a bad thing. They run into some big-time adversity here, trying to go you know, on their trip here to Rome. Keep reading verses 5 and 6 in more details. And when we had sailed over the sea, which is off of Cilicia and Pamphylia, that would be still in Mediterranean Sea, headed towards the coasts of these two areas, these two regions, which were regions just east of Asia. So they're making their way to the coast of Asia. He says here, he keeps going, we came to Myra, a city of Lycia. Lycia being the region just south of Asia. So they are basically there along the coast that is closest to Asia. Verse 6, there the centurion found an Alexandrian ship, sailed to Italy, and he put us on board. It was an Alexandrian ship sailing to Italy, remember, Italy, remember, and then he put them on board. The ship that they were on that came from Sidon was either ending its voyage or going in a different direction, maybe going back the way it came, back to Sidon, other than Italy. So the centurion had to basically find a trip that, or find a ship that was traveling to Italy, and so he did. An Alexandrian ship, one that carried grain, and of course it carried passengers too, but it was mainly loaded with grain, that's why it was going. And he got them all on board. In a sense, he had to, uh, let's say, buy them all tickets, right? They, they couldn't just hop on board as freeloaders because they would have been stowaways, and stowaways were uh, criminals in that time, as they would be today. And so he had to buy them tickets, and then they so they get on a boat. They don't stay in Myra long, though. Look at verses 7 and 8. When we had sailed slowly many days and arrived with difficulty off Snidus, the wind not permitting us to proceed, we sailed under the shelter of Crete of, Sal of Salmon, Salmone, passing it with difficulty, we came to a place called Fair Havens near the city of Lycia. Now, this is where the sermon gets really interesting. Luke just said a mouthful in those verses. I mean an utter mouthful. We will be here for the rest of the message, and I've got quite a bit to talk about from just these two verses. Aside from the close, learning of a whole bunch of details and facts about Paul's trip to Rome. Luke writes there that it was a slow-go sailing from Myra to Snidus, as it took many days, that's very key, 
many days to go from Myra to Snidus. Because of what? The bad or contrary winds. Even adding that in Snidus, they could not. So that would be a big fat stop or zero. They could not continue their journey towards Italy. So they traveled to the island of Crete off of Salmone off for the island's shelter, just like they did Cyprus earlier in their trip. And once off the island of Crete for shelter, verse 8 told us that they passed by this area with difficulty. So here we still have lots of contrary bad stuff happening in their trip. And they came to a place called Fair Havens near a city of Lycia, which is still on the island of Crete. Now, as I just said, this, this part of the message, specifically this message, gets kind of complicated because I'm going to throw a lot of details at you. Just one after another, after another, after another. So bear with me. You won't be bored. It's really interesting, actually, when God opened this up to me because I've, I've given you a map. I'm going to put a map on the website for all you guys that are coming from online. It's going to be on the website. Um, not sure if I can put it on SoundCloud, but you go to gospelstatenchurch.com and you'll see a map there. There'll be a map of exactly what I'm going to talk about here in just a few minutes. So you won't be bored. Just bear with me. It has a huge, bigger finish. Just like we had a huge, bigger picture of Aristarchus. This, this, the whole trip, verses 1 through 8, really, plus this whole journey, have really a bigger picture uh, that we're going to learn at the end and an important lesson that we can learn personally for all of us that are followers of Christ looking at these seemingly boring details, which again, I, I don't think they're boring at all. So we're going to focus on the first part of verse 7. I would say the first three quarters of verse 7, that is, where Luke tells us when they sailed slowly and it took them many days, remember, to go from Myra to Snidus. Well, looking at the details of the map of the area, we find out that this trip should not have taken many days as Snidus of Asia was only about 200 miles from Myra of Lycia. Uh, the, the trip should have been much, much, much quicker. How much quicker, though? Here's all these interesting details. Considering the type of ship that they were on, the cruising speed would have been anywhere from 4 to 8 knots, which would be 4 to 8 nautical miles. Uh, nautical mile to regular mile, 1.151 nautical to regular 1 mile. Now, in relation to a normal mile, when we do the math with a normal wind behind them instead of a contrary wind against them or stopping them, we find that their trip, this 200 miles from these two cities that they coast that they went to their coasts of, should have only taken them a day, 22 hours at eight knots, or 44 hours at four knots, or somewhere in between, could have been a day and a half. Maybe the winds wouldn't have been that great. Maybe it would have only taken them 36 hours, which would be like, you know, a day and a half, which is less than eight knots a day per hour for, of course, the 44. And then the 22 would be the four knots, or I'm sorry, backwards, sorry. Eight knots would be the 22 hours. Four knots would be the 44 hours, but not a bad trip. And as I said earlier, a very quick trip. A day, a, day, a day to two days and a few hours is nothing, yet Luke tells us here that the trip was slow and took many days, which is bad for sailing. You know, when you sail, they put, they put stuff on board, you know, you know, supplies for people, and of course they, they figure on a trip, oh, it's going to take X days because it's, you know, they made the trip probably a thousand times, ten thousand times, and oh, we know it's going to take a couple days. When it takes many 
That's bad because that means adversity for those that are on board. Maybe they were heading to another city because they had a business uh, venture to be in, or, or maybe they had a you know they had to be there for a certain festival. Well, you know, well it's only going to take me a couple. Ah, we'll be there in under three days, but yet it takes ten or 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 eight. Well, then you know everybody's plans are shot, and of course you know everybody's on a schedule. Everybody was on a schedule back then. Everybody's on a schedule now. So this was not good for sailing. Same way as it'd be if you were to go from here to the biggest city around you, and you know it normally takes only an hour, but then you get on the road and there's 20 accidents, and it takes ends up taking you you know half you know 12 hours to get there. You, you, people would be pulling up their hair, going crazy. It's kind of same thing. And, and if that wasn't terrible enough news, but Luke tells us in the end of verse 7 that the wind was so bad that once they reached Snidus, because that wasn't their end location, once they reached Snidus of Asia after many days, the wind would not even permit them to continue. What does that mean? Well, look at your map, the map that I've given you. That means that the wind would not continue to allow them to continue on a straight course towards Italy. If you see Snidus there of Asia, end of verse 7, they had to set sail under the shelter of Crete of Salmone, which is uh, verse 8. It's, it doesn't get any better because as they passed by that city with difficulty because of the wind, then they came to a place called Fair Havens, right? What does all that mean? It means bad news. Looking at the map I've given you, they were on the southwest coast of Snidus of Asia. I underline that. You're not going to be able to see that in the map I put online, but I underline that here at home. And they're, so I so underline it, and they're on the southwest coast of Asia. And they had to go southwest, then northwest to get to Italy. You can see there on the map. It's kind of like a quick dip down and then a quick trip back up but either way it was real straight i mean you know and what's the straightest point between two points well a straight line of course and there i've drawn a line with a marker for that and and in snidus and so and in between snidus and italy i circled that there's almost a perfect midway point that they could have taken port in if they would have needed to and that was off the southern tip of sparta and again i circled that well here listen to this so here we got, the, remember, it was only 200 miles from Myra to Snidus, which again, that was only like maybe a two and a half days tops. Well, uh, Snidus to Sparta was only about 225 miles. And that was, again, the direct line of sail and the shortest path. And using our previous numbers of sailing, this might have been about 48, maybe 50 hours so again, just a couple more days. So and from Sparta, I drew another line there and I drew it all the way to Sicily. It was only about 400 miles to the coast of Sicily, which is off the coast of Italy. And they, have, they could have ported there if they would have needed to. Around another four to five days, again, straight path. From Sicily to Rome, it was about 300 total miles. Probably 280 of those would have been on the ocean, on the sea, uh, you know, in the boat, maybe, you know, 20 or 30 or 40 miles being inland after they got to the port, right? So figure two to three days max. So making a total trip from Snidus in Asia to Rome in Italy by boat and then a little bit on, on the land would have been about 900 total miles, roughly, give or take. Again, just sailing straight. Sailing would have only taken them around maybe Snidus to Italy, Rome, 10 days. If they took breaks, if they took layovers, maybe 14 days total. Not bad. Couple weeks, you know, leaving Snidus to Asia. They had port, you know, they were there. Real easy trip. Couple weeks, they're there. Well, 
The bad news is, the scripture tells us, starting in verse 7 and on through the entirety of Paul's trip to Rome in this chapter and the next, again, we don't get to that, they could not take any of those direct and short routes. They had to go the long way around, all because of the bad and contrary wind and weather. The wind was making their trip slow, difficult, and tedious. And as we, as we, as we see, as we go on later in Paul's travels here, as we, he's going to Rome, as we go on in the, in the weeks as we go on from here, very dangerous. Their trip became very dangerous. It, it, and except for God's intervention, they all could have actually died, should have died, actually, with what happened. That long way around started with verse 7, where Luke told us that they had to go down to Crete, remember, instead of just sailing kind of straight, right, off the coast of Sparta. And we won't get to the whole account of Paul's trip in Rome today and everywhere they have to go on that trip. But I can tell you that from the scripture, from what the scriptures tell us that they have to go, when I looked at the map, the same map I've got online for you, the same map that you've got in your hands, uh, when I measured off the total trip with the route that they had taken because of the terrible weather problems and, and some bad decisions that come up later uh, for those in charge, their total trip ends up being, drum roll please, about 1,200 miles, which is about 300 extra than they would have taken with the direct route. But not only that, you know, that 300 miles, yeah, you know, maybe that's an extra few days a week. But no, because of the bad weather, bad decisions, it was an extra 300 miles of traveling. And it ended up taking them about four to five months to get to Italy, which they could have almost done that on foot. You know, six months, harder trip, but nevertheless, they make it there in four to five months instead of roughly two weeks. Ouch. So I'm all done teaching on all the details of this part of Paul's journey to Rome. I hope you weren't too bored. I hope that all the golden nuggets of the text made all the details interesting to you. But now, in closing out the teaching today, I've been telling you about a big picture finish to all these details. You know, a kind of a, wow, like look at all these things we can learn from this. And you may be thinking, well... Pastor, what can we learn? We've already learned all these things and knots and miles and weeks and months. And okay, you, all right, I got it. But no, there are. There's a huge lesson that we could learn from these details of Paul's trip to Rome. So here it is, the big finish, if you didn't catch it. Taking into account the details we studied today and the details we will study in the weeks to come, their trip was a literal disaster. I don't think anybody would argue that. When looking at Paul's total trip to Rome, the whole trip in total, bad decisions, bad weather, sailing conditions, the wind, <laughs> the people on board, and the, some of the things that they want to do, their trip ends up being a literal disaster. First, here, just in this short, just in this first part, which, you know, they should have probably been to Rome already by this point now, though, Paul gets sick forcing them to take an unexpected layover inside it. Now, God worked it all out, but still, Paul's unwell. And so we got to make a stop. He's got to get some care. That's not planned. That's, that's bad for travel, right, when somebody gets sick. I, I've been on a, with people on, on a trip before, and they've been kind of sick, and all about and we had to stop every, like every 10, 15, 20 miles so that they could you know, stop and go to the bathroom. So it, it's not happy. It's not a good trip when you got to stop excess amount of times, right? Two once they leave Sidon, they have to travel under the shelter of the island of Cyprus because of what? The terrible wind. Wind, remember, blowing against them. Again, they, they probably didn't have to go near Cyprus. They could have traveled 
from Sidon all the way to Snidus or all the way to Myra, all the way to practically to Asia, had the wind been right. Then it takes them, remember, many days because of the terrible wind and weather to travel just 200 miles, which should have only been, you know, day, day and a half, two days, two days and a half, possibly at the, late, at the longest, you know. And lastly, verse 4, instead of them being able to take the straight course to Italy, about 900 miles and about 10 days, maybe two weeks tops trip, they end up having to travel around 1,200 miles. And because of some, again, terrible weather, wind, and some terrible decisions by those in charge, it ends up taking them four to five months. Uh, that would include a shipwreck, stranding them on an island that they weren't even supposed to travel anywhere near on their trip to Rome. And again, all because of terrible weather, contrary wind, some bad decisions, um, fighting them along the way on their trip. A trip, by the way, here's kind of the bigger picture where we roll in. Here's the bigger emphasis that God wants to make today, probably bigger than any that he's made in this whole sermon so far. A trip that God sovereignly sent Paul on. A, a trip that was for God's purpose to bring Paul's witness and testimony of Jesus Christ to Rome. And, and a trip that was meant to glorify Jesus Christ as Lord of all. Do you see the bigger picture? Here, here's the big question that I had. When I was, the question that God put on my heart as I'm doing this whole message. If God sent Paul on this trip sovereignly, uh, specifically to serve him and bring Christ's, and, and, and Christ's you know, presence, and you would say through Paul, and Paul's testimony and witness of Christ to Rome, again, as he said it was his sovereign will to do, Acts 23.11, why didn't God cause Paul's trip to be carefree and easygoing? Ever think of that? I mean, God sent them on this trip, and yet nothing that they've had anywhere at all so far has been easy. <laughs> nothing has been a smooth sail so far, and nothing, there won't be a smooth sailing point from this point, from the time they left to the time they get there. The, the same weather, wind, and seas that made Paul's trip a literal disaster are the same seas that Christ calmed in Matthew 8.27. Remember with the disciples, and they all get on a boat, Jesus goes to sleep, and 827, he gets up because the storms are, are raging on, and they think they're going to sink, so they go wake him up, and he gets up, and he says, and he, he calms the wind and the seas. And then the, the disciples comment, who can this be that even the winds and the sea obey him? So I ask the very serious question that, that should speak to all those who serve Jesus Christ. If God sent Paul on this trip specifically to serve him and bring his testimony and witness of Jesus Christ to Rome, which again we know again Acts 23.11, and he did, why didn't God cause Paul's trip to be carefree and easygoing with sunny days, wind that blew him behind him the whole way, causing each ship that they sailed on to run at optimum or above optimum speeds, getting Paul to Rome super quick, which would have been, which would have brought, think about it, which would have brought Paul's testimony and witness of Jesus Christ and Christ's glory to Rome sooner because serving Jesus Christ, here's, here's, here's why, here's the big why, because serving Jesus Christ and loving Jesus Christ and serving Him is not easy. And He never promised that it would be. 
And anyone that tells you that it is, oh, serving Jesus Christ, they're a false teacher. They're a false prophet. <laughs> if you reject what I just told you, then you must argue with Scripture. Because if you'll just look at the accounts that the original 12 disciples had with Jesus Christ, you'll see that they didn't even have it easy with him while he was alive in the flesh. Not that he's dead now. He died and then rose again. But understand, while he was living in the flesh amongst them, their travels and their trips for him weren't even easy when he was with them in the flesh. Remember that discussion I told you on just a little bit ago, Matthew 8, where they get in the boat and then the winds and the you know, rise up and the seas smash again. They think they're going to flop over and they think they're going to die. Well, listen to the account, Matthew 8, 23 through 27. Now, when he got into a boat, his disciples followed him. So we know the end of the story, right? The wind's going to rise up. The sea's going to crash against them. They think they're going to topple over and capsize and drown and die in this bad weather. He led them there. He led them there, Matthew 8. He led them on that boat. He, come on, guys, let's go. He, do you think he knew that the bad winds were coming and the bad seas were going to rise up and top, almost topple? Of course he did. Of course he did. And he led them there, right? He led them there. He led them there, and their trip and their travel was difficult. They thought, in fact, that they were going to die. Is it easy to serve Christ? Ask them. I I don't see easy thinking I'm going to die. That ain't easy, right? Here's others. They met demons that scared people to tar. They, they scared, scared the tar out of people. People ran the other way. Demons, they were, people were so scary. These demons were so scary. They met demon-possessed people that they were unable to cast the demon out of. That's not easy. They were asked to feed thousands of people with a few fish and a couple of loaves of bread. Basically, Jesus said, do this. I know you can't do it. But do it. So Christ asked me to do things that I can't do. That's no. That's wow. That he does. Yeah, he does. Is that easy? Oh, that's not easy. They were constantly being attacked by the religious leaders. They were constantly being brought sick people that wanted healing. They were constantly being surrounded by thousands of people that wanted something from Jesus Christ. At times, thousands would follow Christ as he walked around, and, and they were popular, right? And they were, yeah, and they were the mega church of the day. They were, they were doing awesome until he taught them the truth when they were all with him. And then guess what? Thousands left him, making them, him and them the most unpopular people of the day. Remember Jesus turning to his 12 original uh, apostles and, and John? Are you going to leave too? Because, you know, everybody else, thousands, multitudes were following him. And he says, you got to eat my flesh and drink my blood. Why? I'm not going to be a vampire for you, Jesus. Because they misunderstood him. And then they left, making them unpopular. It's hard to be unpopular, people. It's hard. That's difficult. And if all that wasn't enough... Jesus Christ then promises them that persecution would come against them, even to the point that they would be killed for following him. Lastly, from Jesus Christ, Matthew 10, 34-36. Do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies will be those of his own household. Christians, you know what I'm talking about. You know what I'm talking about. 
Do any of these things that I just shared from Jesus' ministry that he went through with his disciples sound easy to you? They don't sound easy to me. So, so did they sound easy where, oh, if you were to compare their lives and their ministry to a sailing trip, does it, does it sound like anything I just said would be an easy, smooth sailing trip? Oh, beautiful sunny skies and oh, plenty to eat all the time and all oh, the sun's out and man, the waves, there's no waves. It's just a cruising rock on the boat. Hey, sit back there, John. Give, throw me one of them iced teas. I'm sorry. I didn't see anything. What we just read. Nothing. And we got Peter's words. 1 Peter 4, 12 through 14. Does this sound like Peter is talking to Christ's followers like it's going to be an easy, smooth sailing trip, an easy trip? Listen, 1 Peter 4, 12 through 14. Beloved, you know he's talking to Christians there. Do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you. What? Serve in Christ, I'm going to be hit with a fiery trial? <gasps> well, that, that doesn't sound easy. As though some strange thing happened to you. 13. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings. That doesn't sound easy. Ooh, smooth sail? I'm, I'm going to suffer like Christ? Ooh, we know how he suffered. Ooh. That when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, reproached means that people hate you and people speak bad things about you and people say bad things about you and they, they swear at you. That's what reproached means. That doesn't sound easy. So if you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you for the Spirit of God and, 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 and the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Again, does anything that Peter just said there sound like our travels with Christ are going to be easy? We're going, oh, yeah, brethren, man, get your tank tops out and your swim trunks on. We're going for a swim in the Bahamas and it's a, we're going on the coral reef. There'll be no danger and you'll get out there and you'll snorkel and you'll get to see the barrier reefs and all. You'll get off the boat and have a sweet tea and, 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 and you'll meet a beautiful wife that'll, that'll serve you the rest of your days. You're like, nothing, nothing, nothing. Hard, difficult, tedious, dangerous, Life-threatening. That's serving Jesus Christ. <laughs> then, to me and all my fellow true born-again Christians out there, because I'm talking to myself as well too, that's why I reference me in there. I'm talking to you that are listening to me out there and to myself here, right? Those of us that are walking with and abiding in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Master, why then... Are we so surprised and shocked when others treat us or talk to us awful? Why? Why are we so surprised? Why do I, and I'm guilty as anybody, why am I so angry when somebody does something to me to persecute me? <laughs> I was having a conversation on the phone with a fellow I mentor in Christ. Uh, a few weeks back, month back, and I was at my job, my school bus driving job, and we were about to go out on an afternoon route. 
And as I was heading out on my afternoon run, I was describing a story. He, he was, you know, we were talking about him getting a wife and, you know, what his responsibility was and him getting a wife. And then God had laid something on my heart. Hey, you know, it's not God's only responsibility to bring you a wife. It's, you know, you have to get out there and God will use, you know, you have to put your effort into it. And then if it's God's will, then, you know, then he'll he'll make it happen kind of thing. And he was kind of saying, oh, God, 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 why hasn't he brought me wife? Only solely putting it on God. So I was bringing him the story of Ruth and, and Naomi. And, and, um, and I was talking to him about how in that situation, in the circumstances there, you know, the Bible and what she had to do to, to get a, a husband and how she didn't, just didn't sit back and hang out. And yet, you know, here I go. What happened was I got persecuted. The lady heard me talking about the Bible, and then uh, I was no longer, in a sense, welcome that area of the building anymore because I was talking about Christ. And I was so angry. I was on the way home. Oh, God, I can't believe that. God, why? Why was I so angry? Duh! Duh! Because I forgot that the journey is long and hard. I forgot that the journey is life-threatening. I forgot that the journey wasn't going to be easy seas. I could have named the sermon that. Easy seas is a kind of a, you know, a joke, like an opposite title, you know, easy seas. I could have named the sermon that. You know, God gave me what he did, the sermon title he did. But why are we so shocked when, when people treat us and mock us and scorn us and persecute us? Why are we so shocked when God calls us to do something that we can't do on our own? God, can't you give me this to do? I can't do this. This is, this is too hard, Lord. Why are we so shocked? The disciples were told, feed, feed, the, feed the thousands. And people see in Scripture, people make the, the common mistake that they see only four or 5,000. That was only four or 5,000 men. They had their wives, because it says besides women and children. So it was four to 5,000 men. At least, you know, each one probably had, most of them had wives. And then that puts you up to, if it's 4,000, maybe 7,000, maybe 6,500 to 7,000. And each one of them would have had at least one kid and maybe two to three kids. So here we're not talking about 4,000 or 5,000. We're talking about anywhere, could anywhere could have been anywhere 12,000 to like 20,000 people. Oh, but Lord, we have three, three small fish and, and a couple loaves of bread. Yeah, feed them. Do what you cannot do, my servant. What? Why are we so shocked when God calls us to do something today that we can't do in our own strength? Why are we so shocked when those in our families are divided against us and hate us for our stands of Jesus Christ? I can't tell you the brothers and sisters that I've talked to long years. Man, my sister. Oh, man, my brother. Oh, man, my, my mom, my dad. They, oh, oh, oh. Christian people in, in Muslim countries turn to Christ and their fathers are Muslim and they, they practically beat them to death if they don't beat them to death because that's something that they say they can do. Why are we shocked when it happens? Overall, why are we so shocked when our travels through this life for Christ are not easy and not a smooth sail? Why? Jesus Christ, Matthew 10, 16-26, this is what he said is going to happen. Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. That's not easy. Therefore, be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. Hey, uh, you know, do what I want you to do, but be warned and walk kind of slithery, not, not deceitfully, but walk slithery because, you know, at every turn, people are going to try to stomp on your head. That's basically what he just said. People are going to try to eat you. Verse 17, 
But beware of men, for they will deliver you up to councils and scourge you in their synagogues. You will be brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them and the Gentiles. But when they deliver you up, don't worry about how or what you are to speak, for it will be given to you in that hour what you should speak. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father who speaks in you. Now, he goes on to give more bad news. Brother will rise up, brother, now brother will deliver up brother to death. And a father, his child. And children will rise up against their parents and cause them to be put to death. There's, I don't, uh, nothing so far, Jesus Christ has said, is an easy sale. Nothing. Zero. 22. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. Well, that's not easy. But he who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in this city, flee to another. For assurely I say to you, you will, I will not you will have not gone through all the cities of Israel before the Son of Man comes. And then lastly, couple last few verses. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is either it is enough for a disciple that he be like his teacher and a servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, so the devil, which is what they were calling Jesus. They called him the devil. How much more will they call those of his household? So Jesus just kind of promised us that people, the people we love and pray for and, and we want to get saved, they're going to call us the devil. Has anybody ever called you bad names before? It's kind of hard when they do, isn't it? Your response, I don't like that person. God, smite them. I mean, I've prayed that before. People have spoken evil. God, get them. No, Jesus, why, am I, why did I do that? Why, why? Why? Wake up, right? If they call Christ Beelzebub, if they call him the devil, they're going to call you, if you're really of Christ, they're going to call you the devil too. 26, he ends. Therefore, do not fear them, for there is nothing covered that will not be revealed and hidden that will not be known. My fellow brothers and sisters of Jesus Christ that are out there, and even including I'm talking to myself, we need to wake up. We need to wake up to the fact that our travels and missions for Jesus Christ have probably never been easy. And they're probably, and most likely I could tell you, they're not going to be easy. They're not going to start to get easy. Your sailboats have been tossed to and fro by the wind and the waves. But remember, Jesus Christ never promised you an easy, smooth sailing trip. Just the opposite, actually, as we just read. If you belong to God in Christ, I'm sorry to have to give you this message today, but I think someone out there needed it. This is not typically the message that I, that God usually puts in my mouth to preach. So I just believe out there there's somebody out there that needed to hear these words. No, these words specifically. No, if you've been tossed to and fro, you've been attacked, you've been persecuted, you've been hated, you've been despised, you've been this, you've been that, you've been almost killed, you've, your family member for Christ has been killed. No, there's nothing wrong with you as to why it seems as if the gates of hell have stood against you. There's nothing wrong with you. You're right. In fact, just like Paul, as we're going to read on this chapter next, almost dies except for God's you know, protection because of his sovereignty. Paul was going to Rome no matter what. Even if he was making it on one, one two-by-four that was left on the ship that he had to like, you know, that he had to, uh, what do you call it? Uh, uh, not, not escape, but uh, 
not sail, but to surf on, right, to Rome. He was going to make it on one two-by-four, right? God's with you, but there's nothing wrong with you if you feel like the gates of hell have stood against you. It's because you are with Christ. Jesus Christ said go, but he never promised his true followers a smooth sail and an easy travel, but he promised that he loves you and that he's with you. So, my, my exhortation to you today, you who love the Lord with all your heart, serve him. Be obedient to him like Aristarchus to do the things he's called you to do and to be the person that he's called you to be and to be where he's called you to be and get serving him in his strength and stop getting all caught up in what's gone wrong and the damaging things that have come against you because you followed Christ and his call on your life. They happened to Jesus Christ. They happened to Paul. They've happened and they're happening to me and they're going to happen to you or those or any of you out there who have turned to Christ with all their hearts and surrendered to him as Lord and made a decision to follow him. Get serving him. Be an Aristarchus. Be a Paul and serve him through thick and thin no matter what comes your way. Just be faithful to do what God's called you to do all the way till you take your last breath and you see Jesus Christ face to face. Let's pray. Thank you so much, Lord God, for this message. Thank you so much, Lord God, for uh, the person out there that was needing it, Lord God. I know one of those people that was needing it was me. (laughs) Thank you, Lord God, for all that you do. Thank you, Lord God, for the eye-opening, Lord, eye-opening, sobering, you know, sermon, Lord, of the fact that... Oh, we need, as, as your followers, we need to stop getting so upset when things go wrong and our missions for you don't go as we planned them to go. And it seems like the gates of hell are standing against us. Lord, as what you went through, Jesus, when you were on this earth, even your own family, your own brothers, according to the Gospel of John, your own brothers didn't accept you as the Christ. They even mocked you. Your own brothers, the people that saw you grow up, you probably did all kinds of miracles as you were growing up, and yet they just dismissed him. Yeah, it can't be. Yeah, he's just a Jew, just like us, just a nothing. But Lord, we're going to go through that same thing. You promised it, Jesus. You promised it. So Lord, help us to stop getting shocked when our seas aren't smooth and our sailing adventures aren't exactly glorious. Lord, we have a day when they will be glorious, and that's when we get to heaven. And Lord, then we'll get to see all the different things if we stuck through it, if we were the Aristarchuses and if we were the Pauls of our day. Then, Lord, we get to see what what the, the blessings for your kingdom and for eternity that we got to be a part of for serving you like Paul did. Thank you so much. And uh, just encourage them, Lord God, encourage them not to give up. We love you and we praise you. And we ask these things in Jesus Christ's mighty name. Amen.